and welcome to the Destinate NZ Show. I'm Michelle and I'm Chambers and today we're continuing our celebration of our Tourism Awards finalists. Kia ora Chambers. <laughs> Kia ora Michelle. And big welcome back to all of our listeners. Thanks for joining us once again this week for part eight of the Tourism Awards finalists. Wow, eight. It was amazing. We're certainly churning through them though, aren't we? Yeah, we are. And I've just looked and we're just still waiting to hear from the last few finalists, but we have at least two weeks left at maybe three weeks. So we'll just see how we go with those last stragglers coming through. I know everyone's really busy at the moment. That's right. Yes. And they're having a virtual awards, aren't they, in the finalists? Yes, they have announced that. So I'm wondering if we can now join in because we weren't oh, going yeah. to the actual awards, but we may be able to log in and watch it live online. I think that's how I read the, the news article anyway. So hopefully that's the case. Yeah, wouldn't it be fun? Yeah. And today we welcome back our Waikato friends to the shops. So that must be pretty exciting for them. They can now go and visit an actual shop, not just the supermarket. But our Auckland friends have one more week to go. So still hang in there, Auckland, and bet you're looking forward to starting that Christmas shopping when you get set free. Yeah, I reckon. They've done it tough, Auckland. We really appreciate it. They sure have, yeah. Yeah. And anyway, Michelle, don't we have to choose a winner today? Well, we do. Yes, we do. We have the iFly Kickstart Pack for two, and we asked you to tell us who you would bring if you won. So here they all are once again, and let's pick one up. The winner is... Okay, let me work this out here. Okay, so it is at cooper.taron. So I think that might be Taron Cooper, actually. And she has tagged her dog <laughs> because her, her hubby isn't on Instagram. So I don't think you can take your dog, Taron, but hopefully your hubby will love that indoor skydiving experience down with iFly Queenstown. And if you get stuck, you can always take Chambers. Yes, I'll definitely be keen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so on to the show. You know the drill. We have three more awesome finalists this week. We sure do. So first up, we have Tak of Tiarawa, and he's the co-owner of the MDA group, who are finalists in two awards. But this week, we cover off their really cool community engagement story. Oh, my gosh, and a, a really exciting story, too. MDA group operates primarily in the tourism and event sector. The group includes Mountain Bike Rotorua, Crankworks, New Zealand, and the parent company MDA Experiences, and an industry leader in luxury, educational, and adventure tourism. Tack has spent his working life in the industry, undertaking a wide range of roles from the front line, hosting, and guiding to business development and management. He is internationally known in the mountain biking community, is a Minister of Tourism, appointed member of the New Zealand Conservation Authority, and was a member of the government's Tourism Futures Task Force. This isn't the last time you'll hear from TAC, as they are also finalists in the Māori Tourism Award, and we'll chat with him next week about that. Yes, we will. And after TAC, we head to Wellington to chat with Amy Hughes, the Director of Communication Experience and Conservation at Wellington Zoo. After starting at Wellington Zoo as Marketing and Communications Advisor in 2005, Amy has worked in various roles at Wellington Zoo covering learning, visitor experience, marketing and conservation and sustainability. 
She has overseen the experiential transformation of the zoo alongside the physical development of the zoo capital program, of which Meet the Locals, Hetuku Arawa, was the last stage. She was a finalist for Wellingtonian of the Year 2014 in education. Amy is a regional representative for Oceana on the International Zoo Educators Board of Directors and is an elected member on the Zoo and Aquarium Association Australasia Board. Prior to working in the zoo, Amy had a varied career, including stints in hospitality, advertising and working in the media industry in London. Wellington Zoo are finalists in the Toy 2 EnviroCare Environment Award. Wow. And last but definitely not least, we head back to Northland where we're joined by Ninika Metz and Owen Taituha from the Waitangi Treaty Grounds. Ninika brings over 20 years in tourism marketing, planning, sales and public relations. She has built extensive relationships with industry partners in New Zealand and international. As International Marketing Manager of Northland Inc, she represented Northland tourism businesses at Trends and during in-market sales visits in the US, UK, Europe and Australia. In her current role as Sales and Marketing Manager for Waitangi Treaty Grounds, Ninika and her team have repositioned to a brand with fresh appeal to the hearts and minds of New Zealanders while staying in touch with the international trade. The new brand narrative is leveraging digital to maintain the, and grow the market share. Yes, and Owen, who is with her, was born in Kawakawa and raised in Oromahoi. He has been fortunate to have witnessed through his youth the many debates, conflicts, deliberations and negotiations which have occurred at his marae in Waitangi. His grandfather, the late Kingi Tauroa, was heavily involved in these discussions and was usually positioned at the head of the Napui Tomata. Owen has previously worked at the Waitangi Treaty Grounds as a tour guide, an ambassador and a Waharoa front of house staff member. These experiences were valuable and helped encourage him to pursue further education in New Zealand history. He recently graduated with a BA history from Massey University and is currently studying a postgraduate diploma in museum studies. His studies had further nurtured his appreciation of our Taonga museum collections and our rich New Zealand history. Owen is excited to return as the cultural experience manager at Waitangi and looks forward to meeting and working with everyone again. And the Waitangi Treaty Grounds are finalists in the Hekaikei Akuringa Māori Tourism Award. Wow. And one final thing, please don't forget to enter the competition for the Dark River Funyak Adventure. Only a couple more weeks left to enter, so you need to head to Destinate nz.com forward slash competitions and simply tell us your favorite episode of the podcast to date and why yep that's an easy one and it's a great prize valued at nearly six hundred dollars so don't miss out on that one but anyway enjoy the show everyone share it with your friends and colleagues and we'll see you all again next wednesday see you then kakate kakate We are very happy to welcome Tak Mutu to the show. Kia ora, Tak. Kia ora. Kia ora, Tak. Now, you're the director of MDA Group in Rotorua. Can you start by telling us a little bit about your business and what you all do over there? Yeah, sure. Um, so the MDA Group is basically five different companies. We started way back in 1989, so before my time, because <laughs> I promise I didn't start the business when I was four years old. <laughs> but yeah, we started back then as an educational tour company, bringing in schools from overseas. The first 
two contracts that we got were out of Singapore and Hong Kong, um, working with schools uh, out of those two places. And we still work with those schools even today, wow. even in this COVID time, which is pretty crazy. So yeah, that, that was the basis of the company. And, and we're taking these students around New Zealand doing adventure-based activities, but with that cultural spin on it. So you know, basing ourselves at Marae all around the show. But the very first tour that we ever did was around the East Cape. And again, it's still a trip that we take to this day. So over 30 years of hosting people from all over the globe. And like I say, it's still a part of what we do today. But since 1989, we have expanded. (laughs) We've grown a little bit. I got involved with the business in 2007. And that was around really developing another to the business. So uh, really trying to dive into the premium sector, into that luxury sector. It took a few years for that really to take hold. It probably wasn't until sort of two or three years till we eventually finally got a break within the uh, uh, premium sector. And it really started to fly from there. And fast forward to where we are today. Oh, no, let's not go to today. Let's go to yeah. just before COVID hit. <laughs> and that luxury and premium work was the biggest part of our group. Um, by far, about half our group was made up of um, working in that premium sector. So working with our super lodges, especially in the central North Island, mm-hmm. so Hooker Lodge, Kinloch, Cape Kidnappers were sort of our main mainstay, solitaire and treetops in Aotearoa. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, that was a very big chunk of what we uh, did. There's the events part of the, of the group as well. So our events company primarily used to operate in that in that corporate event space but when that gfc hit around 2012 mm. it really smashed the crap out of that side of the company we ended up doing more and more sports events and quite a few people know us today for crankworks which is the um, world's biggest mountain bike festival and that yeah. operates and not just in Rotorua now so crankworks Rotorua is the main festival i guess yeah. Uh, for lack of a better term. But we also run a summer series, which this year is cruising around the South Island, specifically heading down to Alexandra and Queenstown, which is very cool. Very so, excited about that. Yeah. So that will take place over November, December in 2021. So that's yeah, that's another part of the company. And then the, the part of the business that's actually not doing too badly in this COVID environment is our mountain bike arm. So my brother and I own uh, the mountain bike Rotorua brands. It includes mm-hmm. the, the three retail stores around Rotorua, the tour side of that company, the skills and coaching, and of course, the, the shuttle business, which is based in the Whakarewarewa Forest. And yeah, and that, funnily enough, in, in COVID has actually had a, a wee bit of growth, something mm. that we weren't expecting, mm. especially because pre-COVID times, that mountain bike Rotorua was made up of about 40% international visitors or, or revenue. So we're expecting a pretty heavy drop, but we managed, I think, like a 1% or 2% uh, gain on the previous year. So very lucky to have that on the business. And that, that basically rounds out the group. So educational tours, luxury tours, corporate and sports have been a mountain bike. And oh gosh, did I miss something? Felt like I missed something. <laughs> did I miss anything, everyone? I don't know. Sounds good, eh? I think that'll keep you busy enough. <laughs> yeah, correct. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Great to hear that the um, biking side has shown an increase because we've definitely seen that down here on the South Island. And yeah, awesome. Totally. Yeah, good yeah. work. So, what does your community engagement program look like, Tack? It's funny, yeah, because I mean, these awards are. They're a hard thing for us to enter or to want to enter because it's one of those things. Self-promotion is not a very Kiwi thing to do, right? Like it's such a hard thing for us to do. And then moreover, they want you to to narrow it down to 
to one, maybe two things that, that you do in the community. So as a broader question, what, what do we do in the community? Well, we, we're, we're well ingrained in, in the New Zealand community in a whole bunch of different facets, but we enter the awards based around our Share the Ride programs. Mm-hmm. These are programs that we've been running for, uh, I think we're, we're now seventh or eighth year now. And that Share the Ride program has three different elements to it. So one is our Share the Ride Christmas, which is where we simply gather our new bikes, rebuilt bikes, bike equipment, helmets and gloves and all that sort of jazz, whatever we can find, whatever we can afford and get people from our community just to nominate others in the community. So this is not a self-nomination thing. This is about picking people out who um, might not necessarily have the means of buying presents or whatever it might be and gifting something to do with biking to those people. So I think last year we might have given away about 12 bikes and a whole bunch of other kit as well and some pretty cool stories around. Yeah, Yeah. one, one lady who works in the health sector but doesn't necessarily earn a lot in, in the health sector and she actually had her bike which she used as a computer stolen so we managed to find the, the perfect bike for her it was actually a brand new bike and yeah like I said we gifted that to her so that, that's how that program runs um, we also do share the ride in schools which we're actually changing because of COVID so in the past share the ride in schools has been uh, mountain bike or to do finding a local school in the region and taking that whole school out mountain biking. Really mm-hmm. super simple. Just uh, mm-hmm. saying to the school, hey, we've got bikes, we've got guides. All we need is your time and we'll take every single student in your school mountain biking. But realizing that for some schools, that's quite quite an impractical thing to do. It's quite hard to find the time to get a whole school out mountain biking. Yeah. So <laughs> you think about how congested the years are and how many days students have lost in the schools. We, we just we think that for the next two years, it's not a very practical thing to do. So in the same vein as what I know that my mates down at AJ Hack in Queenstown do, we're looking at partnering with a whole bunch of Otterdoor businesses and actually providing any school leavers. So anyone who finishes their final year of school, year 13 in Otterdoor, and the opportunity to go and do a round robin of tourism activities in Otterdoor. Um, so that, that's how we're looking at reshaping that program funny enough we still took a school this year on that share the writing schools program but that will evolve in the future but the the signature part of the program or the, the signature element to it is our share the ride with Farno. and share mm-hmm. the ride with Farno is where we find 10 disadvantaged families in the community and we take them on a 10-week program teaching them how to ride bikes, teaching them how to maintain bikes and getting them familiar with the forest as well, oh. in particular Whakarewarewa Forest. And then at the end of that program, we gift those families brand new bikes and helmets. So yeah, we've been running that, like I say, for we're either in our seventh or eighth year now and oh, wow. we've had 60 families through the program. We're actually in the middle of one of those programs right now about of our share the ride the final program right now right. we had our first session two days before we went into um this latest lockdown oh. into the delta lockdown so we, we haven't managed a second session yet but that's that's actually coming yeah. we'll re- reconvene with that group and restart our share the ride program with them ready for gifting them hopefully uh gifting them more bikes in the next uh, few weeks and part of the deal with that program is that because we used to target at kids but we just know to get change we we need the whole family to buy into the idea mm-hmm. so we need yeah. to equip and make it as make it as easy as possible for the whole family to get out there so hence why it's a family program now parents and kids uh, attend and they have to attend at least 80 percent of the time they don't yeah. then they don't get the bikes and to be fair we've only had one group who hasn't managed to, to do that since we've started um, but mm-hmm. we, we are pretty strong with that because we've got our crew making this commitment to these families so we just need them to make this small commitment to us yeah yeah, it should be 
all hunky dory. So share oh, the ride. Yeah, that's really yeah. cool. So when you think back to when you first started, why was it that you embarked on this program? Uh, very first time we started anything like Share the Ride was my much better half is a, a teacher mm-hmm. and she was teaching at a very low decile school, either one or two. So lots of lots of families there who, who you know, don't have much of anything, if I'm being honest. And we decided to take her whole class out mountain biking. She said, I want to get them out. Let's, let's take them for a ride. So I said, sweet, that's cool. Right, I'll get the bikes together. This was actually before we even had mountain bike to do it. So this was over 10 years ago. We got to the forest with her class and one of her students said, you know, are we in Topol now? We'd literally <gasps> driven five minutes out of town and this kid had never been out this way before. And wow. it was a real eye-opener for, for both of us. And that's really where we started to use all these cool resources that MDA group had, these rafts, these kayaks, these mountain bikes, mm-hmm. and all that sort of jazz, and uh, started to really try and find ways to get our, our local community involved with it. Because mountain biking in Rotterdam, it is literally one of the most popular bike parks in the mm-hmm. world. Yep. Uh, and, <laughs> and it's awesome. That's right. And, and it is. It's an amazing asset for this town. Mm. You go back 10 years ago and bugger all of our population knew about it right we had right. the mountain bikers you know who back then were a very specific demographic <laughs> you know, and there was you know, the other 80 percent of our locals here who had no idea about this amazing forest that was right on our back doorstep so yeah, it became a mission when we opened mountain bike to do it that became one of the things was not only are we kaitiaki of this forest not only are we the guardians and the caretakers of we also got it to, to express our, our manaki tanga and our whanauma tanga to our own community right it starts yeah. at home first fix the home and then fix everything around you so yeah that's that's kind of the origins of it i guess but uh-huh. we were lucky when that first year of crankworks we had um, pink bike who one of the biggest media outlets for mountain biking in the world so they're uh, a north american based online media platform and they said listen can you find 10 people to give bikes away to and i said wow gosh i've got this really good idea how about instead of just giving away 10 bikes why don't we find 10 families that we can work with and you take care of paying for the bikes. We'll take care of teaching these families how to ride, maintain these bikes and get familiar with the forest. And yeah, they're like, sure, that sounds great. And the rest is history, I guess. We wow. we started that back in 2014 and haven't stopped. Awesome. Wow, that's amazing. And with all this, that was emotionally, it's beautiful what you're doing. Out of that, though, are there tangible and quantifiable results that you've seen achieved over a sustained period? I tell you what, like, Super convenient timing. I just inducted a new staff member on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And this kid has gone full circle. He was on our 2016 program mm-hmm. as one of our Share the Ride with Fano kids. Oh. And yeah, and he, like I say, he's gone full circle. So we got him onto his first mountain bike, taught him how to ride it. And then he came to Crankworks, participated in the Kids Works events up there, so the, the, the wow. kids' events. And, and just last week, we employed him. And now he works wow. for Mount Rotorua. Yeah, it's a pretty cool story. So that seems pretty tangible, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And quantifiable. <laughs> Feed them yeah. through the chain. That's That's right. So he's gone in five years from never riding a bike to entering into Crankworks and now working for you. That's, Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's an amazing cool story. story no wonder you're up for the award. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, unfortunately, we only just employed him like literally in the last few days. So oh, well, yeah, to add that to the yeah. award, but it does make for a story. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> story for our podcast. Podcast exclusive. There you go. That's right. First, first yeah. heard here. Literally. <laughs> Tuck, where do you want to take your community engagement in the future? You've obviously got a huge vision. What does that look like mm. if you look ahead another five or six years? Or even longer. Yeah, so we may have bought a few donate, domain names and the hope is to take that share the right program around the country. In, in particular, really aiming for those lower demographic areas that could really do with that sort of boost. So it's no secret that mountain biking has exploded around the world. I think in financial year 2020, 21, there were reports that the global uh, mountain bike industry had grown by 100%, so doubled. Mm. Yeah. In New Zealand, that reportedly was 300%. So it's just grown massively and you only have to look at the various cycleway projects around the country, the different bike parks, the investment that's happening in around it, the benefits from physical health to, to mental health. It's mm. just such a, a good tool to have and yeah, I could definitely see that program heading further afield than what to do. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, me too. Wow. So, Tak, you know, for you and your team and those that you've touched on, what would winning this award mean for you? Being super honest, not. it's cool. (laughs) (laughs) It's cool to win awards. But, you know, we're a company that has been operating for over 30 years, but we never started entering awards until maybe two or three years ago, not long ago at all, because one, it's a, and as I alluded to before, it's a hard thing for Kiwis to do that self-promotion. It's very easy to let ourselves be recognised by others, but to actually put yourself forward and be nominated is quite a hard thing. So mm. to win awards like that is also a hard thing. But what I have seen from entering these awards and then consequently winning some of them as well is that it, it has a few different benefits to it. And one, it raises awareness to the things that you're doing which mm-hmm. can in itself both inspire or uh, motivate other people to get involved with similar ideas. And I saw it firsthand, even just locally here, when one business owner sort of questioned what we were doing. And then I said, well, we do it this way because we donate this much to this organization. They said, you do what? Mm-hmm. Two weeks later, they had equaled the value of our donation to that same organization so it was a bit of a kick in the ass for them to actually get into that community spirit and get involved locally and yeah like I say that that's what winning these awards can really do it can one is maybe inspire but the other one is is possibly just give someone the kick in the ass that they deserve to (laughs) actually become part of that social fabric rather than just using the business as an economic driver the other one is that it, it and, and again, something I didn't realize the value of until we had actually won an award, how much it actually boosts a team yeah. to, to get that sort of recognition. Because at the end of the day, especially in tourism and hospitality, we're nothing without our teams. You can have the greatest brand name in the world, but if you don't have a good team supporting it, then uh, it will go nowhere. So you know, providing them with the recognition that they deserve is huge. And like I said, winning uh, awards in the past has definitely been a very, very positive influence I guess on our team to carry on doing the things that we do they recognize the importance of the things we do especially Mm -hmm. in that community in the environmental space yeah Mm -hmm. well it's nice to have that external validation isn't it from obviously you see what you're doing as a team but to have somebody from outside of even your community having a look at what you're doing and saying you're ranked up there with the best that's got to be well worth it for everybody and something to celebrate 
well worth it for the team and incredibly humbling for my brother and I. I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Well yeah. done. Well, Tack, that wraps up the questions for today. So thanks so much. It's been great having um, a chat with you and being able to share that story. It's a beautiful story, by the way. Now, we will be back with you to have a chat about the other award you're a finalist in, and that's the Māori Tourism Award. So we look forward to chatting with you then. Kākate. Thanks, guys. Kākate. We love talking about cute animals and where better to do that than at the zoo. But today is a much bigger discussion about the environment. And we're at Wellington Zoo today talking with Amy Hughes, who is the Director of Communication Experience and Conservation as Wellington Zoo are finalists in the Toy 2 EnviroCare Environment Award. Kia ora, Amy, and welcome to the show. Kia ora both. Lovely to be here. Hi, kia ora. So, Amy, this award specifically relates to tourism businesses showing leadership on carbon reduction and eliminating waste. So can you tell us a little bit about what's happening at Wellington Zoo and what you're doing in this space? Sure. I just please stop me if I ramble on too long. <laughs> we, um, Wellington Zoo was the first Toy 2 Carbon Zero certified zoo in the world. And we've just recently got our, I think it's our eighth or ninth year of certification. So probably about 14 or 15 years ago, we started looking at environmental sustainability at the zoo. And the very first thing we did was a waste audit. And we got all staff members to come and dig through the big trash bins and see what oh. was being thrown out. <laughs> yeah. uh, at that stage, about 98% of the waste was being sent to landfill. So there wasn't any recycling or anything in place. And the only other stuff that didn't go to landfill was the herbivore poo, which went to Zudu, who make compost. Oh, okay. It can only be herbivore poo because it's just recycled plant matter. Right. And so from that waste order, someone asked me what our strategy was. And our strategy was just kind of like, let's give things a try, to be honest. Mm -hmm. our, Our strategy was very let's see where we can improve things and we asked all of our staff members for suggestions on how to improve environmental sustainability in the zoo and we managed to implement about 65 percent of those wow so this was at the very um start of our journey so we did stuff like low flow taps and insulated buildings and timers for zoo radios and all of that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and then joined sustainable business network Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting. We joined the SBN and we were out for an award. And at that stage, we had really only focused on environmental sustainability. And that was really eye-opening to us about all the other aspects of sustainability. Yeah. We were like, we do all that stuff as well when other awards <laughs> were being read out. And then we were like, okay, well, now we've got to think about this as a bigger picture. But in terms of the environmental sustainability, we kind of talked about going carbon neutral and My boss would always write it in our statement of intent to Wellington City Council. So we're a council-controlled operation. Wellington Zoo Trust is a not-for-profit that runs the zoo on behalf of the council. And she would always put it into the SOI every year, and I'd take it out because I think we're not going to be able to do it. But then she would put it back in. (laughs) (laughs) To the the council, it was saying we're going to go carbon neutral. And then we were lucky enough to get a grant through DIA to have someone come and work with us on a project a a professional it was like professional expertise for a not-for-profit grant 
And we got someone from Becker and I said what I wanted them to do was a feasibility study for us to go carbon zero. And within like two or three weeks, he was like, yeah, you can totally do it. So he actually helped us set up our first order and go through that. So it was really good to have that help to set, like, set all of our systems mm. up and everything like that. And when we first went for carbon zero, as it was then, carbon zero certification, we had already done so much that it was quite hard for us to reduce more. So, you know, we had already, if we'd actually kind of gone for the carbon zero or some kind of certification at the very start when we first started talking about it, we would have seen huge reductions as we put all of these things in place, like water tanks, collecting rainwater, the whole waste system. But because we had done so much work by the time we got it, we were like, oh God, how do we reduce now? Your bar was quite high, right? Yeah, so the bar was high. We'd done a lot of the kind of quick and easy and low cost stuff. And then we really had to think strategically within the organisation, what were the things that we would then essentially have to invest in with a not-for-profit organisation with not a lot of, you know, we, income. Yeah, we, it was really about the trade-offs as well. So we installed some solar panels on the front of the zoo entry building. We had a big discussion about power provider mm-hmm. and switched to a carbon zero certified power provider because power was our biggest energy emitter, but understanding that that would cost us more money, mm-hmm. but actually having a big discussion around the trade-off of the increase in cost versus what we wanted to achieve from a carbon zero perspective and environment it's all about protecting the environment right Mm -hmm. and and we've switched our fleet to electric vehicles so just understanding what we can do in the last couple of years have our carbon footprint has been much less because no air travel right so we've reduced our emissions from power by by using a carbon zero certified electricity supplier and then air travel is our next one because my boss is on a um, global board I'm on a Australasian board and an international board there's a lot of meetings generally we have to travel to in the year so not having those meetings has really cut down our carbon footprint wow Um, yeah it's quite amazing and I guess the reason sorry I've just that's the kind of blah of what we did and how we did it briefly but thinking about why we did it is really important was really important to us because we're here to think about how we can help save wildlife and wild places. And so many of the animals that we care for at the zoo come from habitats that have been deforested or degraded. We had massive human intervention. What are things that we can do in Wellington to actually help the planet and help animals? Mm-hmm. And we were, were always really conscious of the fact that if we asked our visitors to do something, we need to make sure we're doing it as well. Mm-hmm. So If we're asking our visitors to choose FSC or Forestry Stewardship Council certified paper or wood products, because we know that they come from forests that have been sustainably harvested, we need to make sure that all of everything we use is FSC certified. So really thinking about how we walk the talk, because we can't say we're here about to save wildlife and wild places and actually not do the work. So, Amy, that's awesome. You've given us a bit of insight to how you got your staff involved at the beginning there. And I bet they all love jumping in the trash can and pulling out (laughs) what it was. But how do you also communicate this to your customers, all these different initiatives? How do you encourage them to get involved? And yeah, what do you have to do around communicating this with them? 
Yeah, it's it's quite interesting in zoos because generally research shows that visitors already have a, a kind of have knowledge of conservation issues or environmental issues. So we're kind of starting off probably with a little bit of lega. Not all of our visitors, but the majority. And when we first got our carbon zero certification, our board chair was so happy he made us take an ad out in the Dominion Post. <laughs> And I think it's been a real source of pride for us. We've talked about it a lot. And in terms of visitors, what we started doing is putting stuff in the zoo so they could actually see what we were doing. So from that first point where before all of our waste went to landfill, we installed recycling stations throughout the zoo. So people, like that's a really visible way of showing people that you want people to recycle on your site. We created a space within the zoo in a kind of like little dead end area called Green Zoo, Green You, which was a visitor experience solely based on telling people how we had become a green zoo and then giving them hints on how they could become a green you. And that was all made from recycled materials and told the story of how we'd saved water and energy and waste and then had ideas at the end for people to do and encouraged them to write down there what they were going to do. Mm -hmm. Sadly, we had to close that last year because it had been so well loved. And it just, yeah, it was just a little, because it was like recycled buckets that the kids used for drums and a whole lot of like really cool stuff. But it just got to the point where it was just a little bit, yeah, too well loved by our visitors. Right. And it was amazing <laughs> to create this space that wasn't based around a specific animal. And it was the first time we'd done that in the zoo where we actually created a visitor experience that wasn't about an animal yeah still it was attractive we had to make it interactive and fun for kids but it was still attractive and yeah really well loved so yeah it was great and it still fits within that ethos of the zoo and conservation and everything that you've talked about as well what about the discussions that you had to have with your suppliers, Amy, you know, a lot of the sustainability journey is bringing everybody that you interact with along on the journey with you. How did that go and what changes did your suppliers have to make to be part of your journey? That's a really good question. I think as we've gone on, we kind of require upfront that people have that environmental commitment to environmental sustainability. Otherwise, we won't partner with them. They're there's a disconnect. Early on, we encouraged partners, commercial partners, to join the sustainable business network that we were part of. We would also talk to them about how important it was for us. And I think they get it, like they got how important it was, was to us because they could see the link between what we were trying to do and what the zoo does. For example, we have a partnership with Frucor Suntory. And part of that partnership is that they, so they um, supply drinks for the zoo, is that they installed water fountains. So we weren't mm -hmm. selling like single-use plastic water bottles, but okay. instead yep. they, they paid for water fountains to be installed in the zoo so people could fill their own water bottles, yeah. which you think would go against what they stand for, but they, they got the sustainability stuff. Yeah, and cool. We also partner with Tip Top and they, they're really big on sustainability and they're palm oil free. So it's just... Yep. Of that kind of stuff and I think in terms of our ongoing suppliers they especially around the wood and paper being FSC certified we just won't accept anything that's not mm. and I think they come have come to understand that yeah mm -hmm. a couple of years ago I know our retail manager called every one of our suppliers and said we only want 
FEC books and cards, mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff. So it's just, it's really about figuring out what you want to do and then explaining to people how important it is to your organisation. Yeah. So with that, Amy, you've obviously driven change to some of those suppliers, which is awesome. And that's a great result. So what other kind of results have you seen so far with that? In terms of environmental sustainability? Yeah. And the bigger picture, like what has it, have you, have you noticed that your customers have gone away and taken on board something that you've taught them about and then you've learned about it down the line because they saw this yeah. um, area and they were like, oh, that's a great idea. Maybe I'll switch my tap off when I clean my teeth or. I, I have said, um, said to people that one of my proudest days was when I saw a tweet that someone had put up that had a packet of Colored, a photo of coloured pencils on it with mm -hmm. an FSC logo and all they'd written is Wellington Zoo would be so proud of me. <laughs> oh. And I was like, that is, I was like, that's one. Like, yeah. One Brilliant. person who has taken on board what we said, looked for that logo, went out shopping. Yep. Taken the photo of it and then linked that back to the zoo was just amazing for me. I was like, that's, yeah, it was really... I mean, that was a few years ago, but yeah, I've just, my team always has for me when I'm like, that was like one of the highlights of my <laughs> But it's true. And we did some, we had some students do some research a couple of years ago, looking at, at FSC. That is one of our major conservation action messages because so many of the animals we care for, for come from forested habitats. Mm. and they were interviewing people in Wellington CBD and asking them whether they'd heard of FSC and it, the proportion wasn't that high but a number of those people who had heard of it said that they'd heard of it because of the zoo oh wow so really happy with that yeah I think it's just I'm not sure you can ever pin one behavior change to one zoo visit I'd love it if that was the case you know creating a whole generation of conservationists but <laughs> Just this idea of seeing the messages here, seeing it somewhere else and thinking, oh, yeah, that's a good thing to do. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's something that the zoos here, particularly in New Zealand, do exceptionally well. And your messaging around conservation, environmental sustainability and what you can do at home to make a difference. Yeah, it really works. It's really important in that aspect for us as Wellington Zoo to think about what can Wellingtonians do? Mm. Right. So when I started, we used to talk about bushmeat, which is basically people eat, eating apes. And I was like, Wellingtonians aren't going to eat apes, right? No. <laughs> but what can they do? And my predecessor did this amazing work setting up our conservation action messages. But what can Wellingtonians realistically do to have that impact? rather than just having stuff that is kind of amorphous or really big we wanted actions that were relevant to our audience mm -hmm. and, that, and that they could get and there's so many barriers to behavior change like what is easy for people to do yeah yeah cool so Amy you talked a little bit about obviously the air travel being a big part of your carbon footprint in the past but when you look into the future what do you want that to look like what is your vision for environmental sustainability at the zoo I think it would be unrealistic to say we won't be traveling by yep. air just because of the demands of our jobs in our profession it is a global profession we have very good relationships with our colleagues in New Zealand and Australia but it is we are kind of part of a global profession yeah and I think we have seen how easy it is to have 
meetings online, but then also really recognize the, the limitations of some of those online meetings. Mm-hmm. Yep. Last weekend, I was attending an International Zoo Educators Conference that ran for 48 hours straight. Oh, oh wow. I did not go to all 48 hours. <laughs> to try and capture all the people from the time zones around the world. All around the world, yeah. So, but we are actually due to be the host of that conference in 2023, fingers crossed, mm-hmm. in person. And then you can have it at a decent time. But also it's that the morning tea discussions and the over a glass of wine discussions. And you just, I find it's just very hard to get that with a Zoom meeting. So I think we will be more judicious in deciding when and where we go Mm -hmm. to meetings overseas. But I think that there is also limitations of online meetings that you just can't get around, unfortunately. And Mm -hmm. it's really, we've seen it in the tourism industry, it's so important to have that face-to-face interaction from time to time. Even if you look at what we, how much you flew around before and you reduce that to by 30%, that's still an improvement, even though against last year, obviously it's yeah, not. Exactly. But it's an improvement from two years ago in pre-COVID world. And it, but that face-to-face interaction is so vital. It really is. And Michelle will agree. We really enjoyed our symposiums when we've called up and the conference, the tech conference we had before. The last lockdown so yeah I get it yeah and I don't think even in pre-COVID times we were there was still judicious use of travel just because of our budgets right so yeah. it's not like also we were flying anywhere we could all the time but because electricity is now not an issue it is just our, our biggest thing and I'm sure it's like that for a lot of organizations yep yeah bring on the electric planes I guess yeah <laughs> <laughs> Well, Amy, thank you so much for joining us and we really wish you all the very best. It's been great hearing about the influence Wellington Zoo has on Wellingtonians and those others that come to visit. So you're doing a very worthwhile job and you're very worthy finalist. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. If I could just say one thing to everyone, I'm sure this will be no surprise after what what I've talked about, but I would encourage everyone to choose FSC certified wood and timber products to help us save the forest habitat of the animals we care for at the zoo. And as one of my colleagues used to say, if you can't remember what it stands for, just think of it as fun-saving chimps. That's a I good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am. I'm going to look for that logo. Now I've, I wrote that down when you were talking about it. So fun-saving chimps for everyone. Everyone can do it. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks, Amy. That's all right. Thank you so much. Thank you. We're heading back to Northland now to chat with one of the finalists in the Māori Tourism Award, the Waitangi Treaty Grounds. We're joined by Marketing Manager Ninika Metz and Cultural Manager Owen Taitua. Kia ora Ninika, kia ora Owen and welcome to the show. Kia ora Michelle, kia ora Lisa. Thank you. Kia ora Ninika and Owen. The Waitangi Treaty Grounds are pretty well known around New Zealand. But tell us a bit about your business and why you guys have entered the award. (laughs) <laughs> I'll, I'll start on. Um, so Waitangi is I mean, it's, it's New Zealand's most historic site, but Waitangi is also about continuous development. We want to tell the story 
of the meeting of Maori and Papua that happened here started in 1835 and then in 1840 by the signing of the treaty. So, but we continuously develop our product. We opened uh, a new museum, Te Kongahu Museum of Waitangi in 2016. And then last year, just before you know COVID hit in February, 2020, we hit Te Rau Arua Museum of the Prize of Citizenship and the new conference center behind the museum. We're continuously training people, develop, our people are important for what we do here at White Tongue. So it's a continuous improvement of products, what we have on offer, the grounds, but also a continuous improvement of the people that, you know, of, of our staff, of, of you know, trying to share uh, our stories with, with our visitors. Definitely, definitely. And it is a, a people-centered approach. So from the visitor experience, it extends the staff and their attitudes and this whole delivery of, and really at the core of it is the education. It's really understanding some of the politics and some of the stories and some of the family stories and the community stories and our national history exemplified in, in, in the events which happened here. Of course, the buildings and the development of the grounds also support that direction too for further education and having that resource for the people is, is one of our main goals. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And how do you think Māori tourism has changed and developed over the years? We were talking about that a little bit before, Owen and I as well. And I think sort of the way that it has developed is that what we try to do here at Waitangi is to really, really have for people to have a genuine experience yeah so it's so we we have guided tours we have cultural performances so they are you know i suppose you could talk you could call them shows but it's it's all about sharing mm-hmm. knowledge there's always this educational aspect is in there and people i think people are very keen to have a genuine experience they want to actually interact with you know with all our staff but with our maori staff and that could be you know they could interact with the gardener or with with the you know the guides or when they, when they arrive at Waharoa at our main entrance it's the it's all about the interaction and i think that's how how maori products have changed is that it's mm. people want to you know to do the genuine thing and, and we're all about the genuine thing here yeah there has been a shift into this interest and in, in the uh, that people want to know a, a little bit more, that they hear about the treaty and they hear about these things very much on a surface level. Mm. By coming here, they really gain the advantage of, of learning more and more of the people's stories and more of the, the, the community stories. And it all marries into that, that, that wonderful education of the Treaty of Waitangi. What ingredients do you think it takes to create and deliver a very successful and authentic Māori tourism visitor experience? I mean, I've been out to Waitangi and I remember it gave me goosebumps when I first got there because it's saturated in history and, and, and those stories and the connections. But what do you strive to make sure that your product is authentic in terms of Māori tourism? Now, there's a lot of research that goes into what we deliver. Like, for, for example, the museum that opened last year, Te Rau Arawa Museum of the Prize of Citizenship, it's all about Māori involved in, in, in wars in, in New Zealand and, and the research and, and then with a real focus on the 28th Battalion, Māori Battalion. The research that goes into that museum like that kind is, is on, and it's still ongoing we still have people coming forward now that had uh, maybe ancestors or a grandfather that was in the 28th Māori Battalion that we didn't have their photo they come now and they see the museum they go and share their stories and so it's all about a continuous sort of yeah t- telling the story from 
and make make it personal as well. Like you said about the guided tours, like all, all our guides have sort of. Uh, There's a personal relationship our guides have. They all come from signatories of certain Tupunas, of certain ancestors. They can relay that genealogy to the visitors. And when the visitors hear these things, this uh, it adds to that genuinity. It adds it adds credence to the stories. It, it's um, uh, yes, so the genuinity comes from the people, really. It's from the people of the community, the people who have come from these families, who have these histories and stories that we may not necessarily be able to search up on Google. So that is really a, a big part of, of the experience here for visitors, uh, is that, and, and that's what contributes to the genuinity of the experience, is the, the relationship that our, that our staff also have to the histories here. Yeah. Mm. And then we're lucky that we've got this beautiful environment where we can sort of deliver all these stories because I mean like we you know we've got the best view in, in the Bay of Islands like we look, yeah. we look out of, of you now over to Russell <clears throat> we have so it's all I mean what what happened here the history what happened here but in the beautiful setting so we've got the bush setting we've got the views it's, so it's and all our town our, our beautiful old buildings like the Fare Runanga and the Treaty House so it's uh, it's a pretty special place to work let's, yes. let's put it that way <laughs> you look very over, special place to visit yeah yes. Yes. and you look over the water toward russell and you can envision the old mm. trade ships coming mm. through mm. and it marries with the stories you're hearing from the guides and the relationships they have with the history it, it does become quite a very touching place i i totally understand that feeling of goosebumps coming in that, that mm. and that's really um, what we aim for we really want this place to be impressionable and mm. to be remembered and a wonderful part of people's lives and memories mm. and it, it does seem to be that where, mm. where people come back came here 30 years ago and it's lovely I, I've learned so much and it's wonderful to hear that feedback and that is the aim really yeah. to add that genuine portrayal mm. of, of this wonderful history yeah, yeah. I was mm. talking about the guides there oh and it leads me yeah. really nicely into the next question about your staff recruitment and training and development processes that you have I mean how do you find these people connect with them and encourage them to come and work for you well it, it, it's not really too hard it, it, like yeah. you know, it's a wonderful office to be in yeah uh, that, that help but again it's there's always been a need for Maori to want to say this their side of the story mm-hmm. okay. And as time goes along, it's actually become more important and more prioritized. And from a community standpoint and from a tribal and hapu standpoint, it is a great opportunity for Māori to be able to say their side of the story. Mm-hmm. And it has been a very important uh, aspect for our guides that they get the opportunity to, to portray their side. And that really is one of the greatest tools I have at my disposal when it comes to um, having staff on because they do they want also to help educate and, and they also see the, the lovely value in this history as well and that's also like and that's why we try and recruit locally to start with yes. we yeah. really really want to employ people from the local community because they have the relevant stories mm. they, you know, they can share those relevant stories and then and we really try and look after our people as well. Like we just started this emerging talent program aimed at young Maori. So we really want to try and sort of develop, you know, have our staff to learn and to develop us. Yeah. Definitely to encourage that, that aspect, yeah. what they have to offer. And really, that's really valuable. It's one of the most valuable things to our visitors that they're hearing from a, a personable source or, or someone that's really interesting, really connected to the history itself. Mm. 
Do you, do you find that your staff tend to stay with you for a long time because yeah. of that connection to place? I, we do. So yeah. um, the majority... Oh, you're, you're a good example. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was actually a guide many years ago. I went through Waharoa, our, our front entrance, and, and um, a bit of ambassador work, and I've come back in a different role. But definitely that was the same for me. My reward was really the visitors' experiences and the stories. Uh, uh, you'd have a, a Pakeha family who came on a ship and it relates to the stories that we're talking mm. about in the treaty, and it just so much adds so much more value yeah. um, to the stories being told. And we get wonderful responses and, and great information from the visitors that come in who also teach us a thing mm. or two. Mm. So it is, it's really, it comes down to that the people, the, the yeah. people learning about each other. And mm -hmm. it's us embracing that in our departments, which actually aids in that genuine or helps the staff, yeah, really be dedicated to that. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a lovely attitude uh, that Happy Our Guides and our departments have. It is definitely a part of their aims to, to really educate, to really provide a great experience for these visitors and, and yeah. Yeah. And it's also, because uh, I mean, being in, in the Bay of Islands, our, our business is quite seasonal. Mm -hmm. I mean, when the international markets, you know, when we're still, when our borders were open, and we'll hopefully will be open again soon. But also even for our domestic market, we are very seasonal, but we've tried really hard to keep our staff on. Like we will have three cultural performances a day, you know, any day. So we, we mm -hmm. want to make sure. So we, we, we don't cut uh, shows. We don't cut tours if we don't have to during winter because we want to keep our people employed because I mean, you mm -hmm. don't want to train people you know, in October and then have to... I mean, we have extra staff over the summer, of course, but yeah. our core staff, we want to ensure that, you know, that they... And at the moment, we're, we're not very busy. So you, you're developing this whole new show with, yes. with your crew. Yeah. yeah. And in and, and addition to that, our core staff long-term staff we do have mm -hmm. our seasonal staff who, and that kind of suits them to, to come the through the summer like students yeah. 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 things like that so yeah but the majority of our staff are, are long-term and treasured members uh, of our team yeah oh that's lovely thank goodness thank goodness <laughs> talking about the people which is incredibly important for any um, visitor experience but with yours in particular with in terms of the branding and the marketing does that need to be different to support Māori tourism and Māori product or how do you see it? Yeah we had a little discussion about that mm. as well it's as a continuous development uh, mm. it's something that is actively uh, and has become quite dynamic uh, mm -hmm. and um, Nineke actually heads our marketing. <laughs> yeah, she does an amazing job, I must say. So, it's, I mean, we and I think that's for, for any tourism business, you know, we use a lot more digital marketing, of course. We use a lot more so social media. We, we're very active out there, mm. you know. We, we run a lot of campaigns and we can really target certain our visitors very, very easily. We're very aware, like we print half the brochures that we used to print and when we print brochures, they'll be on sustainable paper. So everything is really, and it's, yeah, like Owen said, it, it keeps changing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It is in a dynamic environment. Yeah. But I suppose, and you so like, we do want to make sure that also in all our images that we have on our website, in our brochures, that we show the diversity of our people. Know, of our staff, of our products. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, when we describe things in uh, you know, online or in our brochures, we, all, we, we always ensure that it's you know, that we 
that we write it in, in, in the right way, that we're respectful of, of mm-hmm. Tina, Tikana and respectful mm-hmm. of the way that should be described. So, And it's, yeah, it's a very important approach to have, especially mm-hmm. at a place that talks about partnership yes. and things like this. So that approach is definitely how, how we actively move forward with that is that, yeah, um, active, active uh, dynamic approach to that. Yes, as Nanaki says, that, that consideration of tikanga Māori and, of course, vice versa. And mm-hmm. it, it is, it's very much a partnership and, and that's how mm-hmm. we like to, to move forward in that arena there. But like when I, did, we, we just, our new brochures just come off the, off the printing press last week. But I mean, that's the process of where I might start with the initial sort of, you know, we should use these images and we should, you know, this sort of text, but then it's got shared by a lot of people in the organization that mm-hmm. have different hats on that look at it that they know that there's a curator with factual stuff there's you know a modest stuff oh and so we want to make sure that everything in there is done in, in, in the right way it's important mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah it is they're always big projects those brochure redevelopments aren't they <laughs> yeah yeah um now what tools do you use to develop and evaluate your product so you can continually improve it we keep a close eye on all third-party reviews, of course. So now we keep a close eye on, on TripAdvisor, on, on any social media interaction, anything that Waitangi is, is mentioned in. Yep. Internally, we continuously evaluate as well. Like uh, we just mentioned, Owen is working on a new mm-hmm. show at the moment, a new culture performance, because we have the time. And we, and we It's a continuous, continuous. Yes, perfect. Yeah. Definitely. And we get that through feedback from visitors, through our guides, through the culture performance, through the various experiences. And we're able to review that, evaluate, change things if need be. So we're constantly actively looking at those things mm. to suit um, to Māori, to suit our visitor experiences, mm. to effectively put across this education. So that's really at the core of it all. Mm. And it's about listening to the visitors, about listening to the feedback, about talking to each other and, mm. and actively making those, those positive and progressive changes. Yeah. Have you noticed a big change in what the visitors are looking for since the borders have been closed? Like, obviously, we talk a lot about the difference between the international and the domestic markets and what they're looking for. Have you found that you've had to adapt much there to cater to the domestic visitor? Or Being with a domestic visitor, no, but in, in, I think in New Zealand, there is a real, people want to find out more about mm. the history more than ever before. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Might have to do as well. Like we've got a new a school curriculum change next year, where the treaty is going to be in for, for the first time. It's mm-hmm. going to be thought about in the schools. So we've been developing a lot of educational products as well. Okay. We're working with the Ministry of Education, where we've been involved with developing resources for schools. Yep. Um, we have you now we develop new products, new museum tools. We want to you now teach the teachers, not just mm-hmm. the students, teachers yep. so they can talk yep. to. So it's. There's just this whole, I think, wave of interest from that wasn't there ten years ago, even yes. five years ago. But mm. at the moment, and they could have to do it with maybe lockdown. But they're looking more at what we have an offer in New Zealand. The people really, really genuinely want to find out about their own history. That's great. And that's yeah. What we do. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect place for yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think you've helped improve the visitor understanding of Tikianga Māori? Yes, I, I, I do. We have visitors come in and they have no idea and they are a bit reluctant to engage in things like this. By the end of their experience, they're in a much comfortable place 
when it comes to tao maori or, or maori way of life they at the end of the experience they understand the porphyry process they understand the process of meeting and greeting tribes mm-hmm. they understand and they in themselves are in a better position and better equipped to engage in those uh, arenas and around all of New Zealand. And I find a lot of our domestic visitors by the end of the experience, they are so much more confident in where they stand in terms of Māori and Pākehā history. They know exactly what the deal is and Mm -hmm. and what we're here and what we're working towards. So uh, it's very valuable for the visitors in that way that they do. Sometimes we do get some very reluctant people coming in that Mm -hmm. have heard some quite adverse history and they come in and they're very enlightened and some show very much this appreciation and they've never had the opportunity and all of this sort of Mm. stuff and it's a I mean I I find myself very lucky to be in that position to be able to to cater to that to that want Mm. to learn more it's quite an emotional experience sometimes as well I think like like people are a bit sort of like because they might not, not you know, haven't had you know, the opportunity to be exposed mm. to Marai or to, and so, mm. and it's also and like in, in subtle ways, we try and sort of incorporate Treo wherever we can, like all our, our maps and wayfinders, they're, they're all um, in Treo and in English, all our signage throughout the grounds is in Treo and in English, staff use a lot of Treo words yes. in there, so it's like, you know, there's a subtle sort of, you know, that's the way that we work here. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, then it's, you know, the poor free and, and, and you know. Um, and the people come out so much more confident. They'll, mm-hmm. you know, they may have come in and, hello, I, I want to. So, and they're coming out going, kia ora, kā ki te o yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Job done. <laughs> oh, perfect. So it's lovely to see people that would once not be very confident, comfortable in that arena to really be able to stand up for themselves and know where mm. they stand and have that confidence and that strength to do so. It's a very rewarding thing. Yeah, I can imagine it would be. I have to say, actually, it was after my visit that it taught me to start using Kyora as a greeting from just uh, moving forward. Yeah, it gave me. You. I commend you for that. Yeah, that was just a minor little change. I thought because I go out walking a lot and you say hello to people on the track, and I thought, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Kyora every uh, time. Yeah. Well done. Thank you. Well, thank you. Well, Nenika and Owen, that wraps up our questions for today. So thank you so much for joining us. You've done a great job on the podcast. We do have a prize to give away for our listeners this week, and it is a family pass to visit the Waitangi Treaty Grounds. So hopefully it won't be too much longer before we can all Mm. get up there and come and visit. And for those details, just head to destinatenz.com forward slash competitions, and you'll find all the details on how to enter. But We wish you all the very best at the awards Mm -hmm. night. We know it's now a virtual awards night, so that might be a better thing. We were chatting about that when they made the announcement and said, well, it actually gives teams an opportunity to get together with the whole team, whereas if you might not have been able to take the whole team to the awards night. So all the best of luck for that. And we can't wait to hear how you go. Same, same. Yeah, very exciting. And and thanks for joining us. We'll chat to you soon. Thank you. Kaki day. Kaki day.